Um, as we come into the passage in just a minute, just something to consider. Some of you have probably pay, played the game, uh, would you rather? Ask questions. Would you rather live at the beach? Would you rather live in the mountains? So in our family, anybody who would stay at the beach, they become the prodigal child and they're, they're kind of kicked out. Or would you rather fall 100 feet and get $100,000 or fall one foot and get $1? Would you rather do? If Pastor Adam and I ever play this game, he always has the trump card on me because my kryptonite is all he has to say is, Would you rather ride the fury? I can't do it. So, whatever else he says, I have to choose. So, there's all these different nuances to this game. James, in a sense, is giving us two would you rathers in our passages this morning. The answers, in a sense, are easy what we should choose. Will we choose them becomes the hard part. So as we look at chapter 4, and we'll read it in just a minute, I invite you, if you have a Bible, please look at chapter 4, and you'll see at the beginning of chapter 4, most Bibles have just a header there. Okay, It's not necessarily inspired scripture what the header is, but it does fit well. This says, warnings against worldliness. So our passage this morning comes at the end of the chapter 4, and there are two pieces to this worldliness that's going to be part of this, would you rather choose this or that? Eugene Peterson says that the attacks of the world are, for those biology folks, protein. They, they change. They change. Or it's kind of like a doppelganger, if you remember that creature, a change shifter. The world changes in the way that it attacks us which makes it hard to detect, kind of like the frog in the kettle, that the water is gradually getting hotter and hotter as it starts to boil before we're able to detect it. So for us to have any chance in this, in the battle against the world, the big idea is this. We need to make judgments in life according to God's view, not the world's view. Make judgments in life according to God's view, not the world's view. So if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. Kind of two different sermons underneath worldliness. Okay, we're going to tie these together, though. But I'm just going to read the first two verses right now as we stand and hear what James writes, God speaks. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You may be seated. We'll hit the other passage here shortly. So a short passage, but... A little bit tricky, some of what's going on here with this speaking of the, the choice, would you rather, judging, something around judging. So as you look at that passage, right off the bat in verse 11, do not speak evil. Now that word in the Greek has kind of a broad meaning. Katalikeo means to speak down to one another. And that encompasses a number of different types of speaking evil. We can say the first might be slander. Slander is about as bad as you can do to anyone. It is speaking what is false 
about someone in order to hurt them. It is awful. It's false. It's damaging. But there's more than that that James is speaking of. There's also gossip. Gossip would be spreading rumors about others, whether they're false, whether they're true, just throwing them out there. We can do this in the church at times, maybe even a prayer group. Well, we need to pray for Susie. I think she has trouble with anger at me. Oh, you didn't know about that? I guess I got to fill you in. So we can kind of do a little bit of that gossiping. So you got slander, you got gossip. But again, James is being broader here. He's saying it's any time that you speak down to someone, speak against someone else, could be a public false accusation, could be private grumbling, you are against them for one reason or another. I think we know that often in our hearts. We're, I'm trying to take this person down. There's something I have against them, and I'm speaking down against them. James mentions next, he says that we're, we're judging. We're judging our brother. So right there, when you get that word judge, oh great. What is the world's favorite verse to launch the grenade against the Christian? Matthew 7, 1, they've got scriptural basis for it. Don't judge. Don't judge. Let me do what I want to do. Don't judge me. Your Bible says so. So, are we trapped? Well, John 7, 24 says this. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Uh-oh. Contradiction. Now the world really has this. Your Bible isn't even... It contradicts itself. Well, here's the difference. You may see in your notes in the bulletin. I used a goofy made-up word. It says... Don't judgmentalize, all right? Just to get in our heads, it's not a real word. It's not the Greek word, none of that. It's just my word to say there's a difference between judging with right judgment that we're called to do, to decide this is right, this is wrong, this is bad, this is good. Don't do that, do that. That's judging. We're supposed to do that. We know that in our hearts. But you're not to condemn. That's what Matthew is saying. When he's saying, don't judge lest you be judged, he's saying, you're condemning that person. And that's what James is saying. We can judge right or wrong, do that, don't condemn the person that may be doing something wrong. James is getting at that. And here, that's, that's, that's kind of the difference. And so how does that show up for us at times, an illustration for us as Christians? In the Lord of the Rings, there's that pass or that passage, that, that scene from the movie where Frodo, if you see here, it didn't come through that well, but you'll see the picture where Frodo ends up in the lair of Shelob, that massive, awful spider where uh, uh, Gollum tr- tricked Frodo into going in there. And the thing about spiders, kind of nasty about them, is they don't have a stomach. But what they can do is you know, inject their venom into their prey to metabolize, destroy, eat, condemn that prey. And that is what James is saying so often we do when we speak down with our words to a brother 
or sister. And when we stand against them. But it gets even worse. Because in the passage, James says, what we're doing is that we are standing above the law. We're saying we know better than the law. This person needs to be condemned. I know the law better. And if I know the law better, then I know the law better. I know it better than the lawgiver. It's in effect saying, God, if I were there at Sinai, I would have taken out that one of the Ten Commandments. I would have added in this one. I can do it better, God, because this person needs to be condemned. In verse 12, James sets it straight for us. If you remember in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6 has what's called the Shema, where it emphasizes there is one God, one. And James effectively takes that language here because literally this is how this passage reads, verse 12. One, the lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy You, but who are the one judging the neighbor? When we do this, James is saying, you're like, as Tolstoy said, you're like God's older brother. Let me help you, God. Let me do this right. And Job did it. Job did it. God had to tell Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Job did it, we can do it. Blomberg in his writing says, there's three areas, and this is where we really can step on some feet now, three areas where in the church we can condemn, judge others in wrong ways. The first one is this. If we look at ways that we can be condemning in the church, Survey says, remember the old family feud game number one, we can judge motives behind others' words or actions. I don't know why they did that. They're taking credit for the work that I did. Mm. They didn't choose me for that committee. I know why they didn't. Do you? Or, Or the elders. I don't think they're really that holy. I don't see them walking around with Bibles and praying all the time. I'm kind of question in their lives. We can judge right and left. We can do this. Or, survey says, oh boy, number two that Blomberg pulls out, judging how others spend their money. Ooh, look at that car. Look at they're spending that much on that. I know they're not giving what they should be. Or, look at the food they eat. They're not spending their money wisely and healthy stuff. They're not looking after the body there. We can go all kinds of directions judging. Number three, judging how others rear their children. Oh, yeah. They knew better. They'd be homeschooling. Yep, they'd do it right. Or homeschooling ain't going to be having a social clue about anything. Get them in public school. No, get them in private school. The best resources out there. We'll, we can go any direction there and we can judge each other. That boy needs a little bit of discipline. Well, I think they must be belting that boy. Oh, my goodness. We can go all over the place 
judging. We don't know the motives. Don't condemn. Don't condemn. So, so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Question would be this. You see something wrong. Okay, you got you got two choices. Here are two choices. Comes down to number one, when we see someone doing something wrong, choice number one would be, yep, how to respond to wrongs. Don't judge at all. Okay, just don't don't say anything. That old Matthew 7 1 said, don't judge. Okay, we said that that's not what scripture is saying. There's something wrong. We can speak into it. So the second option would be this. All right, I see that something wrong. Fight fire with fire. Yes, I'm going to let them have it. Just think about it. When has a flame ever put out another flame? That just doesn't work, that little saying. Does it work to fight fire with fire and just let them have it? We do that in the church. I can tell you, if we raised hands in here, I bet a lot of us would say, I got the gift of discernment. I think that's the most prevalent spiritual gift in church. I, I know what's going on here. I got the gift of discernment. That gift of discernment often turns into the gift of carnage. Spoke the truth. I let them have it. Yep. And they're, they're shredded. So there's our two options. I either don't say anything or I let them have it. Or, or maybe, maybe there's a third option. Jesus tells us this. He pulls from Leviticus 19. He says this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a, bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Okay, there's a put off. Jesus is saying, don't take vengeance, don't bear a grudge. In other words, don't condemn. Put that off, don't do that. But do love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we're to put off the condemning, put on loving... How do we do that? How about this? As Jesus says elsewhere, he says, first, before you go to that person, does he say, look for the speck in your eye? That means it might be there, it might not. It's not what he said. He said, find, ooh, it's there. Find the log. Whoa. So before I go to speak to this person, I am humbled to realize, oh, but the grace of God I go. I am susceptible to this. I have wrestled through this. I see my own weakness, and I come to you as another beggar who knows where the bread is. Because I've found the log in my own eye first, and then I speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love from Ephesians Because, bottom line, I don't want to speak down to them. I don't want to take them down. I want to build them up. I want the best for them. Think of this as as a pastor. How how great it is, and there's so many of you that that I encounter, you're holier than me. You're better than me. You're good. You're praying more. That's great. I want that. Build up. Be, Be effectively better. That's what we want for each other. Be Want the best for each other. Want the best for each other, not to tear each other down. So we see Christ there giving us that third option to what James brings out. So our second would you rather is there in verse 13. 
We've seen this judging, would you rather condemn or love your brother? This next one, an interesting one, about kind of about the future. So in verse 13, James speaks and begins with this. Come now. Okay, in the Greek, that was a phrase that was often used in the Greek plays. Like, come now, let's, let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Let's reason this. Those of you who remember the old Baptist preacher, Andy Stanley. Like Andy saying, now listen to me. Listen to me. You got to get this. That's what James is saying. This is important. Listen to me. And he says, let's talk about this group of people. They're merchants. Now, what do merchants do? They buy some stuff, make some stuff, and sell it for more. Okay, buy, sell for more. That's what merchants do. But there's lots of challenges in that. These merchants were kind of being arrogant about it. I got this. He said, look, just consider all the challenges that a merchant has. Climate could affect crops, inflation, disasters, exchange rates, their leaders, their managers, supply chains. There's all kinds of things that should make a merchant humble. These are out of my control. But instead, here's how this reads in the Greek. It's basically saying this. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, and we will spend a year there, and we will trade, and we will make a profit. We will, we will. First person, it could be I will. I got this. I can do this. So sure of themselves. But what about the Lord's will? What about the Lord's will? I think of the uh, years ago, Muhammad Ali. He was the great one who in a comical way would portray this. You know, I'm the greatest. Fly like a butterfly, sing like me. I'm the greatest. And he did it in such a, a winsome, comical way. But the story goes of him being on an airplane where he's sitting there without a seatbelt. And the flight attendant comes by and says, Sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She came right back with, Superman don't need no airplane either. Fasten your seatbelt. So that, that picture of that kind of arrogance, I got this. Or on the, on the money side of the security of money, it was said when Bill Gates was in his prime that if there were a $100 bill on the ground, the one, two, three seconds it would take to put it in his pocket was not worth the opportunity cost of his time. His hourly, in effect, rate that he made pre- It's not worth it to pick up a $100 bill. But you're a mist. Verse 14 says, you are a mist. Your life is like that. Muhammad Ali, if you remember then, go fast forward from his life to 1996. The Olympics, the torch passed around. Cameras go to the top of the stadium lighting that cauldron with a torch, there was Muhammad Ali, late in life, hands shaking as he was lighting the cauldron. The one who was the greatest now, the life fading like that. Or for Bill Gates, as they say, there's no U-Haul. Following that hurts. Money doesn't go with you. Personally, I, I, I've, I've gotten reminders of that in my own life. I've been hit by a boat. That one's kind of silly. But I've also been hit by a car while biking and while running. 
So just the mist of life. Donna was eight months pregnant I, with Jonathan, and I go out for a run, and she gets, I don't come home. She gets called from the hospital. They won't tell you what's wrong, but hey, you better get over here. I got hit in the back by a car. I was running towards traffic, no traffic coming. Car comes past somebody up and hits me like 45 or 50. I don't even remember it because I'm knocked out. But just that reminder, life can go like that. God was gracious, came out of it. Bit of Dane Bramage, but I think I'm okay. So, you know. The, 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 the illustration is kind of like this, this mist. Is there a bucket of water here? You put your fist in the water, take it out. The hole you left in that water, maybe that's how, in effect, important you are, especially without God. That ain't going to get me any invitations to graduation speeches, but you get the picture there of the mist. So we have a choice. Would you rather do it my way? We will, we will, I will, I will. Or do it as the Lord wills. In verse 15, it says, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. If the Lord wills. So, ideally, that's, that's what we want. If the Lord wills, I'll do this. That's where my heart is. Now, some people will just kind of throw on the Lord willing <laughs> onto the edge of, uh, end of any statement and didn't really mean it. Or, you know, if you want to get fancy, you know, there's the Deo Valente, Latin, sign something with DV. Now, that's wonderful, you know, the heart of the people who really mean that. Unfortunately, now some people make fun of people for doing that. But the heart there is Lord willing. I mean, but it's, it's almost like, it's almost like, you know, somebody's praying, and they close their prayer and say, Amen. They didn't say in Christ's name, Amen. That one ain't making it out the ceiling. Praying in Christ's name is, yes, say in Jesus' name, say in Christ's name, absolutely. But it's the heart, are you praying according to Christ's will? That's what he's pushing here. Are you praying according to what Christ would want? Not just stamping it with an in Christ's name. The heart of it. The Lord willing is the heart of it. Yes, I want this Lord willing if that's what you want. So the key is wanting God's will. But which one? What you talking about, Willis? Which one? People will talk about Two to three wills. We're just going to talk about two wills of God. There are his decreed will. It's going to happen. He has decreed it. Example. In Acts 2 it says, This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan or will and foreknowledge of God. God decreed that it will happen. He decrees There's no atom in the universe that's outside of his control, his decreed will. So that could be involved here. There's also his two Ds, decreed and then desired. Desired will, like Ezekiel 18, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. I don't want that, but it happens. So his desired will is different from his 
decreed will. So, is this speaking here of his desired or his decreed will? Yes. It's an or question. Yes, we'll move on. Now, could it be both? Could it be both? Let's think about this. Submit to God's decreed will. God, your will is best. I am humble. I accept that. You will bring it about. I submit to you if the Lord wills. But what we got to watch out for is to become what in Paul's day where he would deal with these Greeks who would say, if the gods will, God's will, fatalist, or today, Muslims, inshallah, if God wills, God wills, come to them my life, I have no hope, I have no relationship, I just, whatever, God wills. So we are not to be fatalist, and we are not to be ones with no hope, trusting in God, we have no clue what he's going to do, because there is to submit to God in his decreed will as in relationship, as in relationship that the Lord wills. You are a good God. You love me. I trust you for the best. But the second part, the desired will. Could that be in this? I will do this if the Lord wills. Notice he says the Lord, not just God. Curious in a sense, a bit more personal, which leads to, I, I think he is talking some about a desired will of God that we are to want and to desire to follow. Okay. If the Lord wills, that Lord could be Jesus, could be the Father. We don't know from this passage, but it's emphasizing a relational side to this. Also in verse 15, which says, instead you ought to say, that say is present tense, kind of an ongoing, an ongoing relationship. Lord, what would you want me to do today, tomorrow, the next day? It's not just a one-time decision. It's a present tense relationship wanting God's will. I think it could be, well, I'm trying to decide between a new job. And often the decision, well, it's a promotion and it's more money. We got to go. Well, if the Lord wills, would he be pleased with it? Sounds so trivial. Are there churches there? Really? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Your family's spiritual health. With this decision, how will it help your family to grow spiritually? Will I put my child here or there? Will they play four sports or one sport year-round? I need this child to be fluent in Mandarin, Chinese, violin, piano, and unicycle juggling by the time they're five. We have to do this or they're not going to get into the right college. First world problems. How much of what we deal with are first world problems versus maybe it's about, hey, am I helping my wife, my children, whomever, to walk with God and do whatever? Versus our images, first world problems, of what they need to be. Ah, Stepping on my own feet. Like I said, keep the feet out there. Verse 16 says this. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. 
Planning is good. This isn't saying just, whoop, don't care about it. Just planning is good. Planning without acknowledging God is bad. Planning without acknowledging God and boasting is very bad. Very bad. Do we boast? As Christians, yep, we can do it too. We can wiggle our way into that. You know, just kind of finagle a conversation. Well, I didn't make the meeting yesterday. I was gone. Where were you? Well, I was out in Philly doing a little business. What, what happened? Well, just a couple million dollar deals. Signed them and <clears throat> just work that conversation into a little bit of boasting there. Or, you know, missed it. The other day I was at son's game. Well, he got his fourth triple-double in, in a row and all that. You know, we can work our ways into boasting just like anybody. That's not, you know, it's boasting and arrogance. We can all do that. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Wait, what? How does that fit? How does that verse fit? Is this like just carve that over chapter 4b? whatever, Or does it fit? Because we just said the will of God is to see the good that you should do and do it. If the Lord wills, do it. We should be looking, not just the do nots, but the do's that God would have us to do. I remember a roommate in college would set his alarm clock for, math, uh, for 6.33. 6.33, because of Matthew 6.33. He wanted that to wake him up to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That that would start his day. And, and that's part of it. Start the day, but that, that would be what he is seeking throughout the day. We so often kind of compartmentalize this decision around the will of God. Should I marry Sally? Should I marry Sue? Should I take job A? Should I take job B? You could take job A and be in the will of God. You could not take job A and be in the will of God. You could take job B and be in the will of God and take job, not take it and not be. All kinds of different possibilities. It ain't just that, that binary decision there. The present tense of the will of God doing what he wants us to do. Not just to compartmentalize that. So, for the one who knows and does not do, such not doing is sin. Here we see Christ. How is that? Christ was the one, as Hebrews says, yet without sin. All the things that Jesus should not have done in the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal. Jesus could have come to the end of his life and said, I succeeded... God, that's what you wanted me to do. Check Jesus, the great moralist. And in effect, isn't that what the rich young ruler said? Hey, me too. <laughs> I got that. I, I'm, I'm with you. But Jesus challenges him. says, you know what? What about the golden rule? Do to others. Go do this. Oh, I can't do it. But Jesus did. Jesus said on that, come to the end of his life, I did all that I should. I healed, I taught, I loved. He could have said, I'm done. 
Then you got a great example to follow. And then we'll all fail, just trying to follow his example. But Jesus said, no. There's another good to do, and I will do it. The one who didn't do the good that he should have done, I take his cross. For the one who saw the good and didn't do it, I take her cross. That's the good that I will do. Jesus, the only one who never did wrong, never missed the opportunity to do right, and made it right for those of us who did wrong. 